Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. If you are uh, joining us for the first time, um, today we are in week 11 of a series we're going to conclude next week entitled Wise Up. And uh, I have been forcing our community to do something every single week uh, that I recently learned is everybody's least favorite thing to do in church. Uh, But since we're 11 weeks in, I'm going to make you do it again. So why don't you slap someone next to you and tell them you better wise up, son. You better wise up, girl, whatever you got. I heard Albert's voice in that. That's good. You better wise up. And uh, for the last eight weeks, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, excuse me, eight, the last 11 weeks, we've been looking at the book of Proverbs and learning how to apply its ancient wisdom to our modern lives. And traditionally, the beginning of the sermon, this is where I would introduce kind of the backstory and the key verse and all the rest of that. Here's the truth. I have a lot of content today, probably more content than we have time for. So if you'll permit me, I'd like to just jump right into the sermon and you can go back and check out the recap on some of the previous weeks. Um, I do want to say this though, there there are two uh, foundations principles that we've established in this series, and I want to hit these because they're going to be important for today. The first one is that wisdom is not simply knowledge alone, but biblical wisdom is applied knowledge. It's not simply knowing what to do. It is applying that knowledge and doing the right thing, as Solomon says, to do what is right, what is just, and what is fair. But it's important as we begin to apply biblical wisdom uh, that we understand a principle, a foundational principle when it comes to the application of the knowledge we see in scripture, and that is this. Proverbs, the book and even the application thereof, Proverbs are the potential. They are probabilities, but they are not promises. Uh, Just because we live a life of wisdom does not mean that we're going to see, uh, that we won't see any problems or any issues or any storms in this life. Uh, There's, uh, Jesus said in this life, you're going to see some storms. You're going to go through some stuff. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. We cannot change the fact that we live on a broken planet and sometimes stuff happens. However, the application of the word of God to our lives, it does position us to receive God's blessing and it does protect us from what I would consider to be the greatest form of destruction, (laughs) self-destruction. It keeps us from, from harming ourselves. We can't control what happens to us, but we can prevent a lot of stuff by simply living out the biblical principles we see here in the word. And so today we are going to get into an area where I feel most people end up shooting themselves in the foot. This is an area of self-destruction that is very prominent in church and in our nation, and that is our finances. Today we are talking about biblical wisdom as it pertains to our finances. And I can tell there are so many people excited about that in the room. But I want to remind you, I warned you about this last week, okay? So I said if you didn't want to come to church and hear about it, you didn't have to. Uh, but you're here, and I know if you're a guest, I just want to say that's my bad. Uh, but uh, let, me, let me reiterate a promise that I made last week, and, and I want to make it again. When I say we're talking about finances, the entirety of this message is not about giving. We're not just talking about you giving your money to the church. When most pastors say, we're going to talk about money, what they really mean is, we're going to talk about how you're going to give us more of it. That's, that's what they mean. That's not what this sermon is all about. Uh, nor is this a cry for help because the Father's house is in desperate need of more resources. I'm happy to report the church is doing very well. Uh, in this month, we actually surpassed all of our 2021 giving here in September. So things are up and to the right. God's blessed the house every month. We're saving money to buy a permanent facility. Like it's a good time in our finances. So honestly, if I wanted to get your money, there's a lot of easier ways to do it than to do this. All right. 
I could be way worse than this and I would, I would find a way to get the money out of your pocket. That's not what this is all about. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the word of God, see what it has to say about our resources, specifically in the book of Proverbs, and hopefully begin to apply some of those principles to our lives. Uh, to that end, I'm going to give us five keys this morning, five keys to financial wisdom, time permitting. We'll get through all five of those. Uh, but before I do, let me explain why I'm really, really passionate about this subject. Um, it is important to me anytime I stand on this stage and I speak about a principle in scripture that I have authority on that principle. Uh, one of my life preaching verses is uh, Psalms chapter 51, where David says, restore the joy of, uh, to, of my salvation to me. And then he says, and teach me to obey all of your ways so that I can teach your ways to other people. David understood, and I understand, that the only way I have authority to speak about a subject is if I am implementing that principle in my own life. If I'm not doing it, I got no business talking about it from a stage. There's plenty of preachers out there talking about stuff that they are not doing behind the stage, and I wanna ensure that with integrity, I can present the word of God. And when it comes to this area of our finances and the things I'm going to discuss with you today, I want to give you my word. I am practicing all of these principles myself, and I have been for roughly 19 years now. And I can say that with certainty because I can remember the day that I implemented these things in my life. In fact, my wife won't ever let me forget it. Um, I, I got married very young. Uh, Robin had just turned 20. I had just turned 21. Uh, I would not advise that of anybody in the room, but by God's grace, we have made it for nearly 19 years in marriage. Thank you, Jesus. Let me rephrase that. Robin has remained married to me for 19 years in marriage. It's great. Uh, but at the time, I had just gotten a sales job, and for the first time in my life, I was making pretty decent money. But like a young guy who makes good money for the first time, I didn't quite know how to handle that money. I was spending it very irresponsibly. And before we got married, I had financed a home for us to live in, I had financed a nice car for us to drive, and I had maxed out a lot of credit cards to buy a bunch of stuff that I thought we needed for that house, large TVs and, and, and such. Things that all of us have, you know, have, have probably experienced. Uh, it was like spending was my spiritual gift. I was really, really good. It's, some of y'all know that spiritual gift very well. There you go, okay. So a friend of mine noticed my spending habits and because he knew I was stepping into marriage young, he, he gave me a gift and he said, I wanna invest this in your life and, and, and I trust that if you read it and you hear it, it's gonna change the way you think about money. And it was a book by a guy named Dave Ramsey called uh, The Total Money Makeover, uh, Financial Principles to Freedom. Um, some of you know Dave Ramsey, some of you hate Dave Ramsey. That's cool, we'll sort that out later. But for me, I was intrigued because I was a young guy and I was like, I wanna handle my money well. But we were getting married and there was a lot of stuff happening, so I set it on a shelf and I, I didn't read it. Um, but then, being the genius that I am, I thought, oh, I'll just bring this with me on my honeymoon. <laughs> so I grabbed the book, we board the plane to go to Maui, and I open up the book on the way to Maui, and by the time that plane landed, five and a half hours later, I had devoured all of the content, I had finished the book, and I now had a financial plan for our marriage, which I began to explain in great detail to my new wife. I'm like, babe, we are getting our finances in order. We're not spending frivolously anymore. We're gonna live on cash. We're cutting up all the credit cards. We're living out of envelopes. Some of y'all know the Ramsey system. Like, things are changing in our finances. And I will never forget the look on Robin's face <laughs> as we were getting ready to land on our honeymoon. And she looked at me and she just shook her head. And she's like, now is probably not the best time to talk about how we're not going to be spending any money. This is our honeymoon, for goodness sake. I'm like, yeah, you're right, that's my bad. So we went into debt for a week, racked up a bunch of credit card stuff. And then we landed back in California and we got to work. And I can tell you for the last roughly 19 years, 
all of the principles I'm gonna share with you today are principles that we have lived out in our own lives and God has been faithful. He has blessed us in every single way and, and we are a testimony to what the biblical principles of finances can do if you just adopt them into your life. So uh, this is a subject I, I'm very passionate about because I'm doing it myself and, and I'm really excited to see how this blesses some people and helps some people today. So I wanna pray before we get into our content. And if I'm gonna be 100% honest, I'm not super comfortable sharing this information today. Uh, those of you, this is your home church, been here for four years, never talked about this before. It feels a little bit weird to me. So I'm gonna pray for myself as I share the content. Content. I'm gonna pray that you would have no walls up and that we'd all be able to receive it. And we're gonna pray for one other thing. My good friend, our chief of police, Dave Lazar, is preaching for the first time this morning at a 9-11 ceremony across town. I promised him during this service, I would pray for him as well. So can we pray for those three things and then get into that? You up for that? All right, let's do it. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to speak to us today. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you that even the practical things in scripture have the ability to change the way we think and change the way that we live. And uh, as it says in the book of James chapter one, uh, we, we come to you today and we ask for wisdom. You said if we need it, we could ask for it and you would give it to us freely. In this area where our nation has gotten it so wrong, I pray for biblical wisdom in the area of our finances. And Father, I pray for myself as I communicate this word. I pray that none of the, the thoughts in my head about apprehension and what people might ex be thinking or experiencing in the room right now would keep me from the truth. And I pray over this room that we would be able to receive the truth of your word through scripture. And before we do anything else, we also, we pray for Dave Lazar right now. God, we thank you for the word you've placed in his heart. We thank you that our mayor is sitting in the front row looking at him as he communicates the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for every city official and every leader in our city that's sitting in that room right now. May they hear the name of Jesus. May they be drawn to you. And God, may their lives be transformed by the power of the preached word of Christ. We love you. Thank you for what you're doing in this church and in this city. In Jesus' name. And the Father's house said, amen, amen. All right, let's get into it. So before we get into these keys, we need to establish a principle up front that everything else we're gonna talk about today is gonna be built upon. In fact, I will refer back to it a number of times. And here's the principle we all must understand when it comes to our finances. Here it is. I am a steward. I am a steward. Good, I see a lot of people taking notes and writing things down. I am a steward. Uh, if that phrase is unfamiliar to you, the word steward means somebody who manages the affairs or the property on behalf of another person. Uh, Jesus tells a story one day in the book of Matthew chapter 25 about a master who entrusted his resources to three servants. And he said, while I'm gone, I want you to handle these things well, manage them well for me. And I will eventually come back and you will give an account for the way that you've handled all of my resources. Uh, for the sake of time today, we will not go into that story and unpack it. But the point of his parable was this. Everything we have in this life has been given to us by God to steward well. We are not owners of anything. The moment you enter into the kingdom mindset and kingdom mentality, you do not own anything. You are simply a steward. You are a manager of everything that God has entrusted to you. It's not your life, it's his. It's not your future, it's his. They're not your gifts, your talents, your abilities. He gave all of those to you in the first place. They're not your kids. I knew it, they're not your kids. They're his kids. You gotta manage those kids well. <laughs> And it's not your money, it is his money. He owns everything, he gave it to us in the first place, and he's entrusted it to us to steward well. And the way that we steward the resources that he has given to us 
doesn't simply just position us to receive more, but it's actually the metric whereby we are judged in eternity. The way we handle his resources is very, very spiritual. In fact, I think the reason that Jesus talks so frequently about money in, the, in his teachings is because he wanted to reiterate it. He wanted the weight of this to settle on us. The way we spend his money has a lot to do with the way we are going to spend our eternity. There are eternal blessings and there are eternal consequences for the way that we handle that which he has entrusted to us. Let that settle in for just a moment. And now that everybody's palms are sweaty and their knees are weak and their arms are heavy and there's vomit on your sweater already, mom's spaghetti, you know it. If we are called to steward, let's give you five keys to make sure that we steward God's resources well. All right, number one, God first. Everyone say God first. God first. I, I did promise that the entirety of this sermon was not going to be about giving, but it has to kind of be a little bit about giving because you cannot talk about resources without talking about giving God what belongs to him. In fact, this is not just one of the principles. This has to be the first principle. It has to be the foundation that everything else is built upon. Look at what it says in Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. First fruits. That term is a, a massively important term in scripture. We do not have nearly enough time to unpack it today, but if you have questions about anything I'm going to share over the next couple of moments, I wanna refer you to our website or to our app. If you go to the giving page, there is a, a document entitled Why We Give. You can read in great detail about the scriptures and the beliefs and the mindsets of this house. It's important to me that you know what we believe as a church. It's important to me that you know what the word of God has to say about these things. And it's not just my responsibility to make sure I dish that out. If, if you seriously have questions, research it. Go on and, and, and see what the word of God has to say. But today we gotta keep it super simple for time's sake. In biblical times, people did not get paid every other week. There was no direct deposit. There were not like traditional banking systems and IRAs and stocks and, and that sort of thing. In biblical times, wealth was predominantly measured by non-monetary resources, crops and herds and flocks and those sorts of things. So, so when Solomon speaks of the first fruits of your crops here, he is talking in terms of wealth. And God had commanded that anytime somebody received an increase in their wealth, that the first fruits, the first portion of that belonged to him. Uh, if your crop came and you had a harvest or you had a new animal born to you or some proceeds from the sale of a land, the first portion of that belongs to the Lord. And this is where we get the biblical word tithe. It means simply to a tenth. That's what the, the word defined means. God said, the first tenth of everything you own belongs to me. Well, actually, not everything you own because he owns it. <laughs> in fact, he's very specific about the language he uses in scripture. He says, bring the tithe into the Lord's house. He says, bring and not give because you cannot give something that does not belong to you. Remember, we're stewards, right? He gave it to us in the first place. And so he's asking us to bring back a portion of what is already his to ensure that we understand the principle here. And when we don't bring back a portion of what belongs to God, he takes it very seriously. In fact, in scripture, he, he uses a very scary word when people are unwilling to do what he's asked them to do with his resources. He calls it theft. He calls it robbery. In fact, look, look what the Bible says in the book of Malachi, or Malici, if you are Italian. Uh, Malachi chapter eight, 3, verse 8. I got to pepper in some jokes because it's heavy content today. You know, it's going to be good. 
He says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to contain it. If our money was ours, God would not call this theft. At worst, he would say it is a lack of generosity on your part not to give. But because we are stewards of his resources, to be unwilling to return a portion of what is already his is theft. It's stealing from God. Now, now this might seem like odd behavior on God's part because, like, honestly, if this was such a big deal, why did he give us 100% in the first place? Like, if, if this was gonna get us in trouble, just give me 90% of what you planned on giving me in the first place, then we don't have to do this dance where I have to figure out how to give back a portion of everything. Like, that would have been so much easier, right? So, so why does God ask for a tenth? Why not just give us less? Well, we're told right here in the scripture why he does that. Because it's a test. Test me in this. The tithe is a test. It's a test to see if we truly understand that we do, not belong, we do not own anything, that all of it belongs to him. He gave it to us in the first place. For when we withhold what is his, what we say with our actions is, I believe I provided this for myself, and so it is mine to do with as I please. Furthermore, the first always takes faith. It takes no faith to pay all the rest of the stuff and then see what's left over and give God some, a portion of what you got left at the end. That takes no faith. No, faith says, I'm gonna honor my God first with his resources, and then he knows what I need at the end of this, and I trust that if I honor the principles of his word, if I honor him first, that he will take care of every single one of my needs. I'm not gonna honor the mortgage company or the landlord or Netflix or Comcast or Verizon or anybody else above my God. He will get the honor that he is due. And... By the way, this whole thing's about faith. This, this whole life is about faith. You, you were saved by faith in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ, but then you're called to live by faith and not by sight. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the way that we demonstrate our faith and our resources is to bring him back that portion. Now, I'll end here with this thought, but not the whole sermon. <laughs> you're like, yes, no. Uh, if this is not a principle that you have instituted in your life, if you are not in a space where you are giving God the tenth, I don't want you to feel condemned or ashamed. That is not my goal in sharing this information this morning. In fact, I don't even think that's God's heart for you. He doesn't use shame as a motivator. That's never how God works. Here would be my advice to you. Start somewhere with the goal of getting to biblical obedience. Start somewhere. What, what, what do you have currently set up in your budget or in your finances? How can you honor God with the first portion of something and make it the goal to get to biblical obedience? I know that we have a myriad of financial situations represented in the room. I know we got single moms working three jobs just to survive. I know people have been laid off of work and they're doing Uber and delivering, just whatever they gotta do to make ends meet. I'm not gonna try to squeeze you here. That's not my goal. But pray, ask God, hey, what can I do right now to honor you first in my resources, to bring to your house that which already belongs to you? And God is patient. He is kind. He will be faithful to lead you on that journey if you just take out and step in faith. Sound good? Okay, enough about giving. We're done with giving. Amen. All right. Number two, 
Once we've honored God first, number two is this, save second. Save second. <laughs> There's people laughing, that's awesome. Save second. Proverbs 21, 20. The wise store up, but fools spend whatever they have. Statistics show that 70% of our nation is living paycheck to paycheck. Money comes in, they spend the money, money goes out, and then they sit around and wait for the next paycheck to come in. The problem with living paycheck to paycheck is that when you don't have a paycheck or you don't have enough paycheck to pay for the problem, then you don't have life anymore. You can't live. And I know that might seem like far-fetched for some of us. Maybe you got tenure in your job or your job is very secure and there's no chance that you're gonna be laid off. But, but there are two life circumstances that every single one of us are gonna face that we need to be prepared for when it comes to our savings. And this is for everybody. Emergencies and retirement. Emerg emergencies are coming whether you like it or not. I'm sorry. You live long enough, you're gonna have some financial emergencies. You're gonna end up getting the surprise tax bill or you're gonna get uh, the, the medical bill or the stock market's gonna crash or your car's gonna crash because it's a Tesla and it was driving itself and, <laughs> and you're not gonna have enough money to pay for it. And emergencies are coming. It's just, a, it's the nature of life. But hopefully all of us live long enough to also experience retirement. The retirement's coming. <laughs> Someone who's retired just said, Woo, I like it. And by the way, when I say retirement, I mean you no longer have to rely on an employer any longer to pay your bills. I don't mean that you live a sedentary existence on an island for 20 years and do nothing with your life. That's not kingdom mindset. That's not scripture. I'm sorry, I'm gonna mess with some people right now because you're living for that day. Hey, in the Bible, that's another sermon for another day. No, in the Bible, when you no longer have to depend on somebody for your resources, you now get to spend the entirety of your time building a legacy for the kingdom of God and saying, how do I spend the last days of my life making an impact on planet Earth? I'm not living for an island. Come on, I'm living for no distractions so that I can build the kingdom of Jesus for the rest of my days. And I'm looking at somebody in the, in the back row right now who I know is doing that. I'm not gonna point you out and bust you out, but you are an inspiration to me, sir. Someone who's retired, who's given their entirety of their life to building the kingdom across the earth. Set that aside, another sermon for another day. Those things are gonna happen whether you like it or not. Emergencies are gonna happen, retirement is coming. That's not the question. The question is whether or not we've prepared for it by saving. And 70% of our American culture is not prepared for those things. And Solomon tells us exactly why here in this scripture. What did he say? He says, a wise man stores up, but a fool spends all they get. We have a savings problem because we have a spending problem. Someone smile at me. <laughs> and I know that I don't like, have the details of everybody's financial situation in the room and it's probably unfair for me to throw everyone under the same bus. But here's what I know. I've sat down with a lot of people, I've looked at a lot of budgets, helped a lot of folks in our community, and I can tell you that many of us have bought into the American narrative that we need certain things that are in fact not needs, they are luxuries. Our culture has caused us to believe that we deserve or that we need certain things that in most other nations across the planet are luxuries. Let me give you a few examples. You do need clothing, please wear it. But you do not need designer clothing. You do need to eat but you do not need to eat out every single night of the week. Oh, I'm a preacher. You do need rest 
That's biblical. You need to take time off of work. Let your soul get replenished. You need that. But you do not need a destination vacation that breaks the bank. Your kids need an education. But they do not need a private, expensive education. Yeah, I know. I'm getting all up in your briar patch this morning. I get it, yeah. You do not need manicures and pedicures. You do not need to go out for coffee every single day. <laughs> Let me get even more personal. It is not a necessity to stream entertainment to your living room. In fact, a television isn't even a necessity. <laughs> those things are not bad. I, I have many of those things. <laughs> I like shoes. I own a lot of them. But when we do not save and we instead spend everything we have on those items, they become a problem. And, and listen, I get it. You're like, okay, are we really going Amish here today at the Father's house? Like, it's 2022, for goodness sake. Are we seriously telling people like we can't enjoy the modern conveniences? That's not what I'm saying. I'm just asking you to consider this thought. If you care more about how your nails look or how big your TV is or catching up on the latest season of The Bachelor than you do about the inevitable events of your future, you tell me who the fool is. In fact, you don't have to because Solomon already did. <laughs> no, a wise person preempts. They store up for the future, but the fool spends everything they have. They say, I'm spending my money on today's luxuries. We'll worry about tomorrow later. Yeah, that's not wisdom. I have so much more to say about that, but I do not have time. All right. Number three, avoid debt. God first, save second, avoid debt. My disclaimer with this one is I'm not talking about mortgage debt. If you own a home or you're paying a mortgage, this is not a bad thing. The Bible talks about that. Most of us do not have the liquidity to pay for a house in cash, especially here in the Bay Area. Uh, so that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about all other sources of debt. Um, we live in a world that has normalized the idea of being in debt. We have normalized the idea of making payments. The average American right now has roughly $60,000 in uh, various forms of debt, whether that be a car loan or a car lease, uh, credit cards, student loans, finance, furniture, televisions, those sorts of things. Most Americans are roughly, I see a lot of elbows going right now, and this is awesome to me. I, this is really fun. <laughs> I, yes, I'm keep leaning in. So $60,000. By the way, your nation has not taught you very well on this because it is $31 trillion in debt and they just keep handing out money like it's candy even though they got no business doing that because they don't have any money to hand out. But we need to be careful, even though this is normal in our culture, we need to be careful that we do not normalize something that scripture clearly criticizes. Look at what the Proverbs have to say about debt. Proverbs 22:7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The Bible equates debt to slavery. It says when you buy something that you cannot afford to pay for in full, you are willingly signing up to be a slave to that thing or to that lender. You are enslaved. And that might sound like really extreme language, like, gosh, slavery? Ugh, this is ugly. I don't want to. But I think we could all testify to some degree. Like that nice, fun, shiny thing that you financed, it was great at the beginning, but when you're paying on that car five years later, or when you hand in that lease after a certain number of years and you have nothing to show for it, and you gotta shell out money once again, or when you're paying 24% interest on your credit card for that outfit you bought for that wedding, like that does feel a little bit like slavery. It feels like you can't break free from it. This, this is a truth, that the borrower is slave to the lender. 
But let me throw a little gospel in here for just a moment. Yes, even with your finances, if you have said yes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, you are no longer a slave. You have been set free. You've been liberated. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I don't care what an American does. You are not an American any longer. You are a kingdom person, and we live like kingdom people do. We live by a new set of standards and a new set of principles. God has called us to live in freedom. But the way we embrace freedom in this area is by adopting a phrase that your culture does ne it never wants you to say, but we're gonna practice it this morning. We're gonna get this into our vernacular. Ready? Repeat after me. I can't afford it. Oh, come on, doesn't that feel good? Let's say it again. I can't afford it. Oh, that's right. I can't afford it. Other than a mortgage, if you have to finance it, you can't afford it. If you have to rob God to pay for it, you can't afford it. If it keeps you from saving for your future, you can't afford it. If you do not have the physical resources in your bank account to pay for it in full, you cannot afford it. And listen, I know that we live in a culture where there is a ton of pressure to drive the right car or wear the right thing or keep up with the neighbors. But why would we spend all this money and go into debt to impress people that we do not care about and people that do not care about us? That's asinine. That makes absolutely no sense. I live for him and him alone and nobody else's opinions of me. So I'm going to live responsibly with my resources. Avoid debt. Now, if stats prove true, 70% of you are like, cool. That would have been helpful information a very long time ago. <laughs> and I get it. There's, there's many of us in the room that are still living in that space. So the Proverbs are not mute on that subject as well. If you have debt currently in your life, look at what the Proverbs say. Proverbs 6. If you've signed surety, if you have debt, my son or my daughter, do this. Give no sleep to your eyelids, no slumber to your eyes, and deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Deliver yourself. Simply put, if you have debt, get really aggressive about getting rid of it and then never take it on again. Imagine a gazelle that just got caught by a hunter. It is struggling to get out of that situation. It's doing whatever it possibly can to flee. It is trying to run away. And we should have the same mentality when it comes to debt. I'm not gonna stay here. I'm gonna get aggressive about getting out of this situation. I am not gonna be a slave anymore. If that means getting a second job, then get the second job. If that means delivering food, deliver the food. If that means driving Uber, drive the Uber. Do whatever you gotta do to get out of the debt because you're not a slave to that thing any longer. And if that seems beneath you or if it seems demeaning, or if it seems exhausting, or if it seems like it would infringe too much on your personal time, I offer you point number four, don't be lazy. <laughs> Proverbs 21, in keeping with Solomon's advice to give no sleep to your eyelids, no slumber, says this, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin. R ruin, I can't say that word, ruin, for their hands refuse to work. Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin because their hands refuse to work. Proverbs have a lot to say about laziness. The lazy won't eat. The lazy make excuses. One of my favorites, uh, the lazy people turn in their bed like a door on its hinges. <laughs> I like that one. That's one of my favorites. But here, Solomon says, the lazy will come to ruin. Their hands refuse to work. 
There's a lot to be said about laziness. Now, I'm not gonna dive into this too deep because honestly, I think in our culture, the Bay Area, this is probably not something we struggle with all that much. We're generally accused of the opposite. Like, we are a grinded out kind of culture. We don't know where personal life and work life like are separated. Most of you work in jobs where your employers expect you to be on 24 seven, respond to the text, respond to the email, respond to the Slack. Like the five, the 50 hour, six day work week is normal for many of us here. So I'm not gonna hit this one too hard, but I, I do want to say something very simple, specifically to probably some of the younger folks in the room. And I need you to listen closely to this because your culture has really lied to you about this area. So, so, so buckle up. Often, many young people excuse laziness in the name of passion. Maybe you've heard this before. I just, I just don't want to take that job because I'm not passionate about it. I just don't have a passion for that, so I just really feel like I should be doing something that I'm passionate about. It's passion. Problem is your passion is like underwater basket weaving and there's no market for that, right? Like something so niche that no one is employing for that right now or it's something that so few people actually get paid for, at least a living wage, and you're, you're holding out and excusing laziness because you're waiting for a job to show up that fits your passion. Can I be honest with you? You do not deserve your passion with your work. I'm sorry if that hurts your little millennial spirit, but that's a lie. The, when you go to work, it shouldn't feel like work. That is a cultural lie. That's not Bible. We lost the right to be passionate about, about, passionate about the things we're doing for a living back in the garden. What did God say? You will work by the sweat of your brow because you live in a world of sin now. Like, work is going to feel like work sometimes. And I I know someone's thinking, well, that's easy for you to say, Pastor, because you're up there doing your thing and you're passionate about up there. You get paid to do what you're passionate about. (laughs) You just sit at home and read the Bible all day long and then you show up here on Sundays and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, if only that was my job. (laughs) Can I be 100% transparent? This is work. Yes, it is a calling first before it is a job, but my goodness, it is work sometimes. And there are days, they're not often, but there are days that I wish I could go back to business because at least I would get paid correctly for the amount of stress that I endure in this particular position. Sorry if that is too honest for a Sunday morning. But hey, let me be real. You do not have to be passionate about what you do for a living. You don't. Passion, if, if you are, praise God. What a blessing to get paid to do something that you're really passionate about. But if you're not, that's cool. That's okay. It is a means to an end so that when you clock out, you can invest all the time you want in the things that you are passionate about. But do not let passion be the excuse for laziness while your hands refuse to work because you've been told that that's your right. It's not, and it's not the Bible. Okay. That's all. Number five. God first. Save second, avoid debt, don't be lazy. Last thought, make a budget, make a budget. Proverbs 27, this scripture came alive to me in a completely different way over the last week. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks, give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. 
Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Now, here's how this came alive to me this week. Remember again that biblical wealth was not predominantly measured in monetary ways. It was flocks and herds and crops. So, so when Solomon speaks about riches and he speaks about herds here and flocks, he's actually talking about money. And, and essentially what he's saying is you should know where all your flocks are at. You, you should know where all your dollars are being spent. It is unwise and irresponsible to just look out at the flock and go, eh, I should have enough. Now, we should all know where every single sheep is going, where every single dollar is being spent. We must make a budget. This is how we remain good stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us. Now, I know that there's probably some people in here that are saying like, okay, I already, like, I'm good. I, I, I give to God. I, I, I save. I, I, I don't have debt and, and I'm not lazy. So why do I really need a budget? Like, I'm doing all this stuff already. Or maybe you're one of the few in the room that you're like, I don't really need a budget. I make so much money. Like, you have no idea. Like, I don't have to do any of this stuff. I can buy whatever the heck I want to buy because I have piles and stacks of cash. If that's you, please lay your hands on me and pray for me right now because I would love to receive that. But, <laughs> but if that's you, listen, you also need a budget. Abundance does not excuse the responsibility of good stewardship. In fact, there's probably a greater responsibility on your life. Because Jesus said, to whom much is given, much is required. So if you live in an abundant realm, there's actually a greater mandate on your life to know exactly what your resources are doing. And the way that we remain good stewards is we know where those sheep are at. We're making a budget. Now, for some of you, this will come easy. You like, you love spreadsheets. You love crunching numbers. You're like, that's my jam. For others of you, you're like, that feels like going to hell and I'm not interested. And I understand <laughs> your plight. And so here's what we're going to do as a church. We want to help you very practically in this way. If, if you are in a space where you do not have a budget and you don't even know where to start in making a budget, uh, in the next couple of weeks after our 11 o'clock service, we are going to be hosting a budgeting class right here at the Father's House. Uh, a good friend of mine who was sitting in the front row, who was very good with his money, John Fernandez, uh, well, their money, they both make money, um, but uh, they're, they're gonna be running a class for anyone interested, uh, and, and we're gonna make a way for you to sign up for that today. We do not have a date yet because we don't know how many people are interested, and we need to determine whether or not we're gonna do it in this auditorium or we're gonna do it in the family room next door. But if that's something that you think you would benefit from and you want more information, you can go on our app, you can go on our website, uh, and you can click on the link that looks like this. You can give us your information, and then we will let you know all about uh, the budgeting class when it comes up. And we wanna help position you so that you know where all your sheep are at. Sound good? Yeah, we, we wanna be practical about some of this stuff. All right, there's your five keys. I am convinced if we would implement these five simple things in our lives, 95% of our financial problems would disappear. 95% of them. There's certain things we can't control, as I said, Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Like you can't avoid all of it. But many of our financial woes would disappear if we implemented the biblical wisdom here in the book of Proverbs. But there is one additional advantage that I would like to land on and I'll invite the worship team to come um, as, we, as we talk about finances and that's this. When we begin to implement all of these things, and we've arrived at a place where we are now responsible with our resources, we're stewarding them well, we enter into this beautiful space where we can begin to live generously.
live generously. You have margin and you can live generously. God's goal for your resources is not only that you would be positioned to receive more from him, although he wants you blessed. God's goal is not simply that you would be out of debt and that you'd no longer be a slave to the lender, although he wants you free. God's goal is not even that you would have peace of mind about your resources and you wouldn't be worried and anxious about them all the time, although he wants you to have peace. But all of those things are are benefits. They're not the goal. The goal of applying all of these things to our life is that you would learn to live generously, that you would have some margin to begin to give away that which God has entrusted to you. If this is your home church, you, you know that this is one of our values. Living generously is one of our values. And if you've never read it or heard it before, it, it reads like this. We truly believe it is better to give than to receive, to serve others rather than to be served. We are lavishly generous with our time, with our resources, and with our talents. And we look to serve everybody at all times with what we have. I love that line. We are lavishly generous. I love it because not only do I believe it describes the kind of culture that God's called us to create here at the Father's house, I believe it describes the character of our God. Our God is lavishly generous to us, above and beyond all that we could ask, think, or imagine. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. If you ever doubt how much your God loves you, consider this simple thought. He started his giving to you with his most precious resource. He gave to you the thing that meant the most, his one and his only son. As a result of his generosity towards us, we don't have to be concerned about where we're gonna spend eternity. If you know Jesus today and you walked out of these room, this room and God forbid something tragic happened to you, because of his generosity, because of his lavish generosity and his love to you, you would be whisked up off of this planet and you would be in the presence of the Holy One today because God was generous with us. That's how much he loves us. But his goal is that we would arrive at a space where we become more like him. Where we understand freely we have received, now freely we can give. We can allow our lives to be used in the same way that God used his life for us. We can be lavishly generous. And in our generosity, many people who do not yet know our loving Jesus will enter into a relationship with him. It's important that we remember everything we're discussing today, it comes on the heels of his generosity. He gave to us first. And since he gave to us, we're gonna steward all that he has entrusted. Amen? Amen. Let me pray over us as we conclude. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for the simple, practical principles that you've laid out for us in scripture. And most importantly, thank you for your love. Thank you that you loved us so much, Jesus, that you came to this planet. You lived a life that none of us could live. You died a death that all of us deserved. And you resurrected so that we could find new life in you. 
God, we, we lay the resources that you've entrusted to us back at your feet today. And we say, we wanna honor you well. We wanna manage it well so that when we enter into heaven and we stand before Jesus as the servants in that parable did, you can look at us and say, well done. You did well, good and faithful servant. I, I know that this is a weird message to make an altar call like this, but at the end, it's very clear. God loved you so much that he gave his son for you to be saved. And even though we're talking about money, I believe that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to maybe a couple of folks in the room. And if you're here this morning and you'd say, Tim, I'm at a distance from God and I need to accept Jesus as my savior. I need to receive that love into my life. You said if we had Jesus and we walked out of this room today and we passed away, we'd, we'd be in heaven. I, I don't know for sure that that would be my story, but I want it to be. If that's you this morning and you need to give your life to Christ before you leave this place, I wanna pray a simple prayer of commitment with you. But before I do, would you just look up at me and lift your hand so that I know who I'm, I'm, I'm praying with this morning, if you need to pray that along with me. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> all right, I'll take it. We're gonna pray with the one individual making this decision this morning. And let's all say it out loud so they don't feel alone. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for giving yours for mine. I choose to follow you. Help me to be your disciple, to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in heaven, in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.